0: down in Green River Valley I knew that
1: if you could Hey, this is Adam with Mile High Stash, the podcast that asks what five albums you would take to a remote Colorado cabin in the event of a zombie apocalypse. Today we have the fabulous Emma Rose with us. This is the uh, 17th episode of Mile High Stash. And I hope you'll give us a review on um, Apple Podcasts. Um, It does go a long way, actually. Um, Or even just tell your friends to find Mile High Stash wherever they listen to podcasts. Send me an email, too. Um, The email is milehighstash at gmail.com. You can send me questions, complaints, or even if you have, like, a suggestion for a guest. um, I always appreciate that. Anyway, the fabulous Emma Rose uh, she spent most of her life um, in Colorado, and those roots have recently turned into some beautiful branches with the bluegrass supergroup Big Richard and her own project, Sound of Honey. Emma's debut album as Sound of Honey is called Dozens of Colors, and it drops this week. The release shows are Friday, February 24th at the coast in Fort Collins and Saturday, February 25th at the Chautauqua Community House in Boulder. Um, at some point in our chat, Emma and I spontaneously got to talking about the beloved Jamestown Mercantile, which coincidentally is one of the generous sponsors of this Smile High Stash uh, episode. If you, for some reason, haven't gone up to Jamestown, whether on a bike or in a car or hiking, I don't know. Um, you haven't really experienced heaven. The Merck has such wonderful food and people, there really aren't adjectives to describe. I do have some adjectives to describe 105.5, the Colorado sound, which you can listen to on your bike or in a car or on a hike. Um, wonderful, unique. Diverse. Uh, I love the DJs on the Colorado Sound and, and the fact that they really play whatever they want, and it's always great. Hopefully, you'll be hearing Sound of Honey on the Colorado Sound very soon. Um, Emma Rose. Here's our chat, um, but first some words from wood songs um in boulder i've taken my kid to wood songs for things like clarinet reeds and sheet music and just about everyone i know has had a guitar set up at wood songs uh we'll see you on the other side
0: H.B. Woodsongs is Boulder's longest-running music shop, frequented by well-known local artists from Gregory Allen Isikoff to the String Cheese Incident. Starting as folk arts music in 1971, Woodsongs has been a hub for the Front Range's musical community for over 50 years, offering friendly, expert service to customers of all ages and all levels of musical experience. Woodsongs offers the community a vintage boutique vibe with modern conveniences and services. They're musicians too, so they get it. Woodsongs strives to be a place where all musicians, from beginners to pros, feel at home. Along with instrument sales and lessons, Woodsongs does brass and woodwind repairs and features Colorado's finest string repair shop, located directly across the street. Stop by Woodsongs in Boulder today or check them out online at hbwoodsongs.com.
1: Where do you get your, your tattoos done?
2: I've gotten them done all over the place. Um, yeah. I had a lot in Austin. I lived in Austin for a while. Yeah. Um, And then a bunch of them on the front range, like Fort Collins and Longmont. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I haven't really gotten any done in Colorado. I like to get them. um, Like when I go on a trip, I like to get them in that place.
2: Yeah, totally, you know? That's a great way to go.
1: Yeah. So welcome Emma Rose of, uh, Sound of Honey and this little band that you might have heard of called Big Richard. Um, um, The first thing I want to ask is just, where are you from? Who are you?
2: Um, I think that question is hard to answer for me because I feel like I grew up in two different places. Like Mm -hmm. I was born in Wisconsin, but then moved to Iowa City and spent my whole childhood in Iowa City, but then moved to Fort Collins when I was like 10 so like half of childhood in Iowa and then half mm-hmm. in Fort Collins, Colorado.
1: And um where did you go to like junior high and high school in Fort Collins?
2: I went to two Yeah, I went I started junior high here in Fort Collins and then we moved to Longmont when I was in 8th grade. So I did one middle school here in Fort Collins and then one in longmont and then two high schools in longmont. Wow. Yeah.
1: <laughs> was your was your first instrument the bass?
2: No. No, I started on the fiddle when I was like 5 or 6 years old.
1: And how did you get to the bass?
2: Um I played the fiddle and then I eventually I think mostly I switched instruments because I got bored of them and I was like I want to learn a new one. So mm. Then I switched to banjo for a while, and I took Scruggs-style banjo lessons for like three years. Um, But I was getting really bullied at school, in middle school, because girls are just mean in middle school. Mm -hmm. And um, I, like, none of them knew that I played the banjo yet, but I was already, I was still getting bullied. And I was like, if they figure out that I play the banjo too... On top of that, like, I'm going to get bullied even more. Like, there's no way I can do this. So I quit the banjo, which I regret. I regret that one a lot. Um, And then I joined orchestra and started playing cello. Mm-hmm. Um, And I played that for, like, the first half of sixth grade. And then the bass player moved away. And we only had one bass player in the orchestra. And I was feeling board of the cello and the orchestra teacher was like well you could try the bass and I was like okay I'll try it and I remember like playing the first note I ever played on it it was just like this is so big Mm -hmm. you know as like a sixth grader I was like blown away by the power I felt in the note you know yeah and for a long time I was the only bass player in the orchestra so I, I felt like I really loved kind of having control over that sound in such a big ensemble.
1: <laughs> what was it like lugging that thing around?
2: Um, You know, I think for a while I would complain about it because I was tiny. Well, you know, I wasn't a small kid, actually. I think I've been the same size that I am now since I was like 10 or 12. Mm-hmm. It was awkward times back then, you know. But I think I complained about it plenty, but then I was like, man... I can't keep complaining about this because I have to do it forever and I remember actually like in my adult years I started playing with drummers and I was like okay this isn't so bad carrying the bass in Mm. you know versus carrying in like a bunch of drumming equipment (laughs)
1: yeah it's a lot I mean um, I played um, in gasoline lollipops for a long time and, and Brad had this big bass to lug around. But um, having to set up a, a drum set, um, you know, and load it and, and unload it. There's always this time at the end of the night where, you know, it's it's coming. It's yeah. inevitable. You're going to have right. to. But there's not one piece of a drum set that's as heavy as a bass.
2: No, but it's, like, the trips to the car is, like, my vein of existence. I'm, like, (laughs) how can I put as many things on my body as possible Mm -hmm. so that I can, like, make this one trip? Like, I've been avoiding getting a bass amp because of that, which is so dumb because, like, I need one on stage to hear, you know? Right. I'm just, like, I don't want another piece of gear to have to carry inside. But I'll eventually, I'll get there. It'll (laughs) reach a point where it's, like, unavoidable, you know? (laughs)
1: You just go direct for now?
2: Yeah, we all have Felix's in Big Richard. Mm. I use my Felix. And, um, you know, if I can, like if I'm playing an electric, I often play gigs where I play electric bass and upright. So I'll see if like the venues that I'm playing have backline amps. Yeah. And they usually do. They have like a fat stack for me when I get there, which that's like my ideal situation. Um, But the Felix does really well of like, you know, getting everything through.
1: Yeah. So fiddle and then banjo and then bass and the orchestra. And then did you have your first experiences in rock bands and things like that when you were in high school or was it after?
2: You know, I think I was, I was in a rock band in eighth grade called forever to nowhere.
1: Oh, well, that's not bad. You know, when it comes to eighth grade band names,
2: you know, that's <laughs> it's not that so bad it's very like deep for us you know Mm -hmm. 12 year olds um but I was like the lead singer in that and I didn't really yeah that was it and we just played all like classic rock covers which was really fun um but I think that when I was 16 years old I met this group of people at Pagosa Bluegrass Festival um and they, you know, I kind of grew up going to the festival with them and they all like played these really like cool, heartfelt folks songs, you know, like songwriter shit that like I had never heard before mm-hmm. really. And you know, my my dad is Mike Fenders of Fenders and Youngbird. Do you know that? Is that band? a
1: bluegrass band?
2: Yeah, yeah. He's in amazing-
1: no background in that whatsoever. So
2: Wow, yeah. Mm-hmm. FY5 is what they call themselves now. Um, but he's an amazing songwriter, you know, so I grew up like, obviously knowing what songwriting was, Mm. but always in kind of the Americana folk bluegrass range. And, you know, it was when I was 16 that I was introduced to like the head and the heart and Gregory Allen Isaacov and, you know, the kind of like, I don't, I don't want to say darker, but like more like pull at your heartstrings, kind of Mm. like sing around a campfire, um, and I, that was like the first summer that I smoked weed. It was the summer I realized I was like partially into women. It was mm-hmm. like this coming of age moment. And in that moment, I realized that like, I really enjoyed songwriting and I was very curious about it. And so I started to learn guitar. So I taught myself guitar and then um, I just started writing songs and that was something that was just always like sidelined to being in choir and orchestra. Cause I was in school. So I was mostly like playing bass in the orchestras and singing in choir.
1: What happened after high school?
2: I moved to Austin, Texas, 10 days after I graduated.
1: For school or just to play music?
2: Just to play music. I was enrolled at CU Denver. Um, I was like planning to go there to study jazz bass and music business. Um, and I like had my like living situation lined up, like I was fully enrolled, gonna go to that school. And then I started seeing a man who was twenty five at the time and lived in Austin. And I went and visited him for a week, my senior year of high school, during South by Southwest. and I was like, I could just like come out here and do this without going into debt. Yeah. Like I to do that instead.
1: What did your parents it, think?
2: That no one was in support of that. They mm. were all very like, what the hell are you doing? Like, you don't know this dude. Like, this is not a good idea. And I was like, I swear it's not about the dude. It's about the music. <laughs> and I think, you know, I've always kind of followed my Followed my heart and followed the loves of my life to find myself where I am. And, you know, we broke up like six months after I got there, but I ended up meeting a really beautiful scene of bluegrass pickers in Austin. And at that point, I had, I had like, what's the word? I'd given up on, I was just like, fuck bluegrass. I'm not playing bluegrass anymore. Like, this is because I grew up doing it. My parents, like, had me doing it as a kid. Um, so I was planning on just like working on my solo stuff at that point, but then I met all these new people. None of them knew who my parents were. They were all like young and hot and had tattoos and like knew a fuck ton about traditional bluegrass. Also, I'm cussing a lot. Is that okay on a sure, podcast? Sure, go for it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was like, you know, I can play bass, like. And so I started kind of hanging out with these people. And I was like, I got my ass handed to me a lot musically in that time. Um, Because the bluegrass down there is super traditional. Um, And, you know, at that time I was like playing the bass, bluegrass and singing, but my tempo was all fucked. And like, I just had a lot of hard lessons in that time musically and learned a lot about playing bluegrass. It's good to be um,
1: humbled sometimes.
2: Totally, totally. Mm. Um, yeah. And and at the same time that I was doing that, I found a really beautiful community of songwriters in Austin at the Cactus Cafe. Really cool historical venue there. Um, but they had an open mic. I can't remember if it was on Mondays or Wednesdays, but one of those days. And... I just started going to that and met this like really sweet crew of like young songwriters and they were all, they still are all incredible songwriters. And I learned a lot about my own songwriting from those guys while I was learning a lot about bluegrass from this bluegrass community. Um, And I spent two years down there doing that. And then I came back to Colorado in 2019 and just kind of like you know felt my way around the world and was reestablishing myself here as like an adult instead of like the kid that I left yeah as
1: it sounds like it really wasn't about the guy so you proved mm-hmm. your, you proved everybody wrong
2: well i feel like my you know it was about the guy originally partially <laughs> but i was also like you know this is like feels it feels right (laughs) you know and like my heart feels drawn there for love but also for music and exploration and you know i feel like if you follow your heart in those ways you end up in the right places usually
1: well the other thing is that you did get a musical (laughs) education even though it wasn't wasn't in school
2: totally yeah, and it's been really valuable because I like, you know, I came back to Colorado, I think, I guess it wouldn't have been the year that I would have graduated. But I ended up linking up with a lot of the same people that I would have met in college had I gone to CU Denver. Um, and there is part of me, too, that's like, I definitely wish that I had more technical knowledge on the base and more desire to practice. Mm -hmm. But, and I think that that stuff is, I learned that stuff well when I have a teacher, someone to report to. Mm -hmm. Um, But other than that, like, I think it was one of the best decisions I ever made to not go to school.
1: Sounds like it worked out.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So far.
1: One of the things that I wanted to ask you is whether you were the one member of Big Richard who kind of didn't have this background in Bluegrass. But I was completely wrong, but yeah. it's, you know, it sounds like you do have um, also a, a background in the singer-songer, singer-songwriter stuff, and um, you're the member of Big Richard, whose um, solo stuff I most hear. You know, someone like Feist or like an indie pop, you know, type thing. In, yeah. And this project, Sound of Honey, um, what's the What's the scoop on, on the on the album? And is this your first solo album?
2: Yeah. Um Sound of Honey is the you know, working. I don't want to say it's the final because it's gonna change forever, but it's like where my original music is at right now is mm. Sound of Honey. And um I have a band, so I play the guitar in that band and I write all the songs. And then I have a drummer named Tobias Bank. He's amazing. I love
1: Tobias. He's a buddy of mine.
2: He's the yeah. best. Ever. Yeah. Um. And and then my bass player's name is Will Kipper. And he plays in Sturts. They're like a really sweet mm-hmm. uh folk band. Um. But both of those guys have been with me like since I kind of decided to start making a record with Sound of Funny, which at the time I was just calling it like Emma Rose original music, and it kind of came from like the 2020 weirdness like it was the summer of 2020 that I was like well I like to have never recorded a single song I've written I really want to do that how do I make that happen Um, and so I hit up Charlie Rose because he has a beautiful studio in Lyons and has been a friend of mine for a long time and he was stoked about music and wanted to like cut me a deal because I'm broke I was just like how do I make this happen like as cheaply as possible and he gave me an amazing yeah deal and we stayed there for a week and we recorded seven songs which they were just like the seven that I could pick that I felt like would be cool and at the time of making the record Tobias and Will had not yet played together Tobias and I had played together a couple times but the record itself is really raw, like raw feeling now, because it's been like two and a half years since we made it. yeah. Um, and we've played together so much since then. But when we came together to make the record, we were like, Hey, nice to see you. Nice to meet you. Like, mm. here are the songs. Here's the chart. Like, will you play it? You know? Um. So I think, you know, it is our first record that we're putting out. Um, but it was recorded so long ago. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it's new, you know, it's not like a new record, but it is to other people's ears. Um, But I think it's a really cool snapshot of time from like how we started, you know, like what it felt like the moment we started playing music together.
1: The one song um, August um, um, has been um, a staple in our house for,
2: oh Oh.
1: yeah for a few months now and i was wondering when we can hear the rest
2: wow yeah um that's really sweet it's a great Uh, song thank you um we i'm putting out the ep on the 23rd of february i just decided to put it out on the 23rd because we have a show the 24th and the 25th um and I am horrible at organizing things. Yeah. So I was like, well, we already have a show. I'll just put it out before that. And yeah. we can kind of treat that as like the release party or something. Oh, sweet. Yeah.
1: I was just at the uh, Chitakwa house last night with my kid for the stealth.
2: Oh, show. yeah. Totally.
1: And it's a really special place because it's so tiny and, and so old. and Yeah. Um, Have you played there before?
2: I haven't yet. I've been to a show there. Um, my friend Alex opened that show last night. Oh yeah. She's really great. Um yeah, I haven't played there yet, but I'm super stoked. Patrick reached out and asked me to do it and I was like very happy because his music is amazing. Um, so hopefully we can get people out to it. I think so far we're doing pretty well. So
1: how was your yeah. show at, at the Merc with um with Daniel?
2: It was really great. Um, I lived in Jamestown for a while. Oh, yeah. When I was in high school. Um, My senior year, I lived up there for like the second half of my senior year. Uh, And, you know, I just like grew really close to all of those people and the community. There's like really special to me.
1: You probably know the Farmer Sisters and Rainbow and totally. all the great Jamestown people.
2: Yep. Oh. And all those people saw me through a really rough time of my life. Like I had like a an overdose oh, when no. I was teen. and I was living up there at that time. And it was not like a low, low of my life, you know, like I've been lower than I was. Like it was just more of a reckless, party doing hard drugs which i don't fuck with at all anymore because of that which i'm grateful for like that's why i can talk about it openly i feel like it was a really beautiful experience ultimately um but you know all that community like watched me go through that and like held me through it and i was my dad was like you can't live up there anymore and i was like it's not jamestown that's the problem like i need to stay up in jamestown and so they were just all super supportive of that and it's been really beautiful to come back like i lived there when i moved back from austin for a little bit but um you know they all are following big richard and sound of honey and they're all just like super proud of me and like it's really mm-hmm. sweet to be able to go up there and um see all of them and you know just to see the growth like you know when you visit a place you've been before you see how much you've grown since the last time you were there yeah um so all of this long story is to say that the show was really beautiful and sweet um rainbow reached out after our friend andy clark passed away
1: yeah yeah
2: um i worked at moxie for a while in lions and he's a good buddy of mine um but she was like can you please come up and play like We need the healing in Jamestown. And Daniel and I do a lot of shows together. It's just like kind of a dynamic duo situation. Like we're best friends and we love singing together. And I love opening for him. You know, it's just like Mm -hmm. super fun. So we lined that show up and then everyone showed up. We sold it out before we even posted about it. Like Rainbow posted about it for one day. And then like the next day it was sold out. You know, it's just really cozy and sweet and loving.
1: Next Friday, the 24th, same night as your show, unfortunately, I'm going to be playing at the Merc with Clay Rose. Oh. And I just love it up there. It's like cheers. It's like where everybody knows your name. Oh, really? And I have such vivid memories of my first time playing Jamestown Mercantile with and Lollipops many, many years ago. There was a snowstorm and we were leaving from Boulder. It was a blizzard Uh, and uh, and clay uh, drove me up and um, I didn't think we we could make it there. And, and, and I said to him, who's going to be at the show? And he he was like, well, Jamestown will be at the show. And it was, it was literally the entire town is, is at the show? Totally. You know? Yeah. And I don't think, I don't know how many places a community like that exists anywhere
2: yeah it's really special and you know if you drove through you would never really know you know if you're like a tourist like you drive through you see the murk you're like oh that's cute but who even comes up here but it's just every house is full of a magical person and everyone's there to like support each other and
0: show up for music it's really sweet This episode of Mile High Stash is brought to you in part by the historic Jamestown Mercantile. From the gourmet brunch menu, wood-fired pizza nights, and ever-changing dinner specials, the food at the Merc is always worth the beautiful Canyon Drive. More than a fantastic restaurant, the Merc is also Jamestown's community meeting place. A mountain hangout, a stop for cyclists and tourists, and a great place to see live music. Head to jamestownmercantile.com for more info.
1: Before I ask you about this band that you're in, um, I have a very serious question for you. Um, <sighs> there are all these roses around. There's Dango Rose. There's Clay Rose. There's uh,
2: Charlie uh, Rose.
1: Yeah, Charlie Rose.
2: He's Emma. also an Elephant Revival.
1: Oh, wow! He
2: plays like banjo and guitar and pedal steel and everything.
1: So, if there was a fight like Anchorman style. Uh-huh. And and they was all of the roses
2: mm-hmm. who who would win, oh wow, I don't know, man. Clay like seems pretty hard to me, like Clay would probably beat the shit out of anyone.
1: You have more tattoos than Clay does, I think
2: I know, and I'm pretty like scrappy, but I've never been in an actual fight. oh, like, what are the you know? it's it's hard too because it's day i've never met dango in real life i could probably take him though (laughs) charlie i could take charlie
1: most of the elephant revival people i don't think they'd be so good in a fight
2: (laughs) honestly yeah i feel like i could it would be like a really intense argument you know (laughs) like i feel like we, we wouldn't even get to fighting it would just be like but if we are hypothetically in a fight Um, I don't know. I feel like Clay would just, and it's hard, like as a woman, I can say energetically, I could fight any of these men. Right. Mm -hmm. But physically there's a disadvantage sometimes. (laughs) And I am pretty jacked.
1: Yeah, I can tell. Yeah.
2: But I'm like smaller and like, I don't know. Like, I've got a lot of weapons in my purse Battle. at all times. Yeah. I could never fight. I don't know. Like we all love each other so much. Like Charlie and Clay are like two of my re- like, really soul bonded friends. You know, I've never met Dango, but I'm sure he's great.
1: My opinion, if I was betting on this and it was, you know, sports betting, draft games <laughs> or something, you know, is is that Clay could take out anybody from Elephant revival, that'd be fine. Yeah. He would never hit a girl. And so you would no. just win by a TKO or whatever they call it.
2: Yeah, Technical. but I don't like I don't feel like I could ever hit Clay. And I could never hit Charlie. And it I could comes... never hit mango you know? Yeah. Unless he's actually doing something real fucked up. But I don't like know. Kidding like... Clay. Yeah, some yeah, there would be <laughs> those dynamics going on. <laughs> yeah
1: (laughs) okay thank you for answering my serious question i like that question
2: i think it's very um, thought-provoking
1: so this band that you're in big richard um there was a festival that was booked um, and bonnie says that the festival realized that there were no female acts and so they asked somebody to put a band together Uh uh-huh which was Eve actually who put the band together.
2: Yeah, okay. and it kind of. There's a part of the story that doesn't get told very often because okay. it's too complicated. Let's really? Hear it. Like when there's someone asking that question, how did the band get together? I just feel like it's important to add this, and it's probably my own ego that needs to add it, but <laughs> I do want credit where credit is due. Okay. Um, in 2019, when I moved back to Colorado, I had a dream. I was like, I want to create the best female band to ever happen. And I was like thinking about that and I was talking about it. And I was like, who would be in the band if said band existed? And I talked to Joy because I met Joy and her and I had this really special bond. And I was like, you would totally be in the band, but how would that work with a guitar? And she was like, well, cello doesn't really work with a guitar. Like you can't have a guitar because they're in the same. um, uh, They cancel each other out. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, okay, cool. So no guitar. So it'd be me on bass, Joy on cello. And then I was hanging out with Bonnie a lot at that time too. And keep in mind, this is 2019, like long, long ago. And I was like, okay, Bonnie, you on mandolin, Joy on cello, me on bass. And this all just like unfolded over time. And then eventually I talked to Eve about it and I was like, you on fiddle. Like that would be like the best lady bluegrass band us four. And so I had the idea of the four of us and that's why Eve called us specifically.
1: Sometimes you need a deadline for something to actually happen.
2: Totally. And like, I didn't make anything happen with it and none of us did. We were just like, well, that would be so fun. Um, You know, but Eve, you know, she didn't just come up with the lineup out of the blue. It was like I had kind of organized it in my scheming mind for the year of 2019. And when she got the call, she was like, oh, this is a good opportunity for us to play with that lineup that Emma suggested. (laughs) So that's how we got together. (laughs) I feel like it's easiest to just say that Eve thought of it, but I definitely thought of it first. (laughs) We'll see what we'll we'll see what the others say.
1: <laughs> so you play, um, festivals and all these things, and and then your first proper headlining ticketed show is not at like the Lions Lair or something. It's at the Gothic Theater, and and you sell it out. So,
2: <laughs> what's uh, that like? Um, well, at first that show was at the Bluebird, right? Um. And then we sold it out in like two weeks. So then they moved it. Um, But before that, you know, I think Telluride was the thing that we were all like, what? Well, I guess we got the Rocky grass offer first from Craig. And um, I lived in Lyons for a long time and I knew Craig and I saw him. And I remember when he first saw our band, he like came up to me because I was working at Moxie and he was like, Hey, what's that band you're in? Like, how, what's, what's up with that? And he's an interesting man to talk to. He's like, what's up with that? What's up with the name? You know, he was kind of like seeing what was going on. And then he reached out eventually and asked us to play Rocky Grass, which I remember when we got that call, we were like, what? This is crazy. Like, and, you know, we had talked before that about maybe doing the band competition at Rocky Grass. Like, because the whole thing started as just a fun, fun time project. You know, we were like, this is really joyful and sweet. Like, let's just do it for fun. Um, and then shortly after that was the Telluride call. And I think Telluride was the thing that said, sent us like over the edge, really. Because um, I don't know, it's all been like crazy. It feels crazy it's been like really fast and like unexpected it kind of feels like for me it feels like I like walked on a rocket ship to like tour the rocket ship you know there's like rocket ship tours on the ground Mm -hmm. and like I'm in the rocket ship taking a tour checking out all the fun little knobs and stuff and then all of a sudden the rocket ship takes off Mm -hmm. into outer space and we're just like fuck like we didn't expect that to happen and so while the rocket ship has been taking off i feel like we've all been like trying to figure out how to like put our seat belts on and like sit in it and be comfortable and like not you know bounce all over the cabin or whatever my stupid metaphor is
1: how do you take that rocket ship into a studio and and capture this magical thing that that everybody is uh all over the country you know the stage show you know that everybody is is loving how do you translate that into okay now we gotta, gotta make an album
2: i think you know with the speed that we took off like we were playing all cover songs mm-hmm. you know all traditional bluegrass songs and some fun pop covers that we loved. so i think the hardest part has been like the pressure to write original songs like really fast. Like it's like write original songs because you're recording your album in April and you need to have original music. So we're kind of like trying to figure out what our sound is as a band, as we write together. And you, you know, all we, write, Yeah, we all write for sure. Um, it's just like, we all have very different styles. I think, Joy and Bonnie are really cohesive in their vibes and the things that they like and the way that they write. Um, And I personally have a very hard time writing for that kind of music. Like I don't don't naturally go there. Mm -hmm. So it's been a really big challenge for me (laughs) to be like, okay, if I want to be on the album, I need to come up with some fucking songs that Big Richard can do. And I'm kind of like, I don't know what I want. I don't know how to do that. So that's been the biggest part for me. But, you know, we have a producer lined up and he's really into like live recordings. So we're going to do a lot of live takes. Oh, great. It'll be cool. So we'll just like mostly be in the studio, like trying to capture the energy more than perfecting anything you know because I think our band is way more about the energy than it is about like I don't know we're we are, we're all just like it's a fun live band and we want to make sure we capture that in our record
1: <laughs> you've already taken a Radiohead song and made it a Big Richard song and, and a Billie Eilish song and made it a Big Richard song so why not an MRO song
2: yeah I think that there's part of me that feels, like, protective over that music a little Mm. bit, like, and I think a lot of songwriters maybe can relate to that, like, it's such a, like, the way that Tobias and Will hold my songs is, like, so perfect for me, you know, and it's like, I really can bring the song to them and have it come out exactly the way I want it, you know, I do have a bit of an aversion to bluegrass music sometimes. yeah and like you know even when i moved to austin i was just like nope i don't want any of this in my life like i'm doing my own thing um and i definitely have written a few songs that like fit more in the country range of things like and i have written songs for big richard it's just like so far out of my comfort zone um yeah. And you know, my songs aren't as cool as like Radioheads or really radio <laughs> like they're not like as put together and poppy coverable, you know?
1: Right. It sounds like Big Richard is sort of about taking bluegrass out of its comfort zone anyway.
2: Totally, totally. And it's like a beautiful challenge for me to have to write in a way that I'm not used to, you know, and like, you know, my writing process is pretty lax. It's pretty, like, I'm going to sit at my desk, see if, like, play my guitar, see if I feel anything, see if I can come up with any words. Then I'm going to, like, go eat some food. Then I'm going to come back to my desk. Uh, and I, I love that. I think, like, writing is a big art form for me. And I've never quite gotten into the mindset of, like, factory production in my head in terms of writing songs because there is a way you can do that you know there's like chorus form verse form you're singing about this you're writing about this the whole time like crank out a song um and that's something i I haven't spent a lot of time doing but i think it's a good thing to do as a songwriter
1: there's no perfect way to write a song and and yeah a blueprint you know that works for everybody because if it did then Everybody could write a great song.
2: Right. Yeah. And I think I have a really deep appreciation for people's different approaches and people's different ways of painting, you know, like it's, if you're making something that everyone's kind of seen before and like a different way than that, like that's not as interesting to me as someone that's like completely paving their own path. Mm. You know, I I really love that approach to writing songs and just really finding your own voice and style in it. I really appreciate that.
1: So I don't know why this has like slipped my mind, but the whole theme of this, the podcast is five albums that you would take to a remote Colorado cabin in the event of a zombie apocalypse. So why don't you give me like two albums that you would take?
2: okay i I had six written down because I could not pick five.
1: I've never allowed anybody to have more than five <laughs> unless it's like a London calling or something like it's like a two record set you
2: know? yeah um well i I put them into two categories, but I'm gonna give you two okay because there's like music that I listen to now that's like super influential to me now but then there's music that i listened to when i was growing up that was super influential to me then and it was kind of hard to pick between those but i'm gonna give you dragon new warm mountain i believe in you by big thief
1: oh it's very surprising
2: yeah yeah (laughs) and um for Emma we, forever ago by Boney Bear.
1: listening to <laughs> your sound of honey music that's de- that's definitely an, an album i would think you'd be into oh yeah you know, yeah, yeah. tell me about these two albums
2: i feel like so big thief is like one of my favorite bands of all time um it's mostly mm-hmm. because of adrian lanker they like lead person and songwriter, mm-hmm. um, and she is like, I think one of the best songwriters of our time that exists, and she's alive, and she's like thirty, mm-hmm. um, and she has you know she has her own solo albums with all of her songs on them, but she writes most of the Big Thief songs, and I think that like the way that they all play music together, like I know that they spent like years practicing and writing in a basement before they ever played their first show ever you know and adrian's writing is just like some of the most i don't know it's like otherworldly to me like her writing her words what she's saying is so beautiful and the way that she weaves it all in with guitar like it's some of the sweetest art i've ever heard Big Thief, the band, the way that they play music together is extremely experimental and like a lot of give and take between everyone. Um, so much listening and so much like just art. Like everyone's kind of splattering their art all over the place, but not like over top of each other. Like they're giving room for each other. And it's so diff it's so different, like from anything I've ever heard in my life. And the album dragon new Warm mountain i believe in you is like 20 songs long super mm-hmm. long album and i feel like it really encapsulates a bunch of different corners of their sound and there are a couple songs on there that adrian does solo which that's why i picked the album instead of picking one of her solo records mm-hmm. like you still get to hear that raw like vulnerable side of her in those songs but then there's some that are just so like old school like super phasery guitar you know tone and like crazy drum sounds it's just so good Mm. the whole album and it's a journey like all the songs are so different but they're all like the words I just I'm a big words person Mm. and Adrian's words are like some of the best words I've ever listened to
1: and then the other album that you chose is it sounds like the opposite of this it's like one dude in in the woods making an album by himself
2: uh-huh yeah and most of his words like i don't really i still don't really get what he's saying you know yeah. and that's part of why i love his music so much
1: For a little song.
2: Um I guess with both of these artists like there's kind of a like none of them care about being famous mm-hmm. none of them care about like that part of music like they're making music because they like need to make music and it's like their soul like puking out of their body and mm-hmm. it's this beautiful display of art and it's not at all for, like, the masses. It's not for anybody other than, like, themselves, you know? Yeah. But I think that that lack of, like, what's the word? Pretense. Yeah, like, just fucking make art. Like, it doesn't matter what happens. Like, it's, it when it turns into, like, how can we make money from this? Yeah. How can we tend to what the most people like? And that's, like, not music anymore to me. Like, yeah. I'm I'm super not into that. And so I love an album where you can hear that raw, beautiful, like, expression of humanness through sound. And I was listening to a really awesome podcast, and I need to remember what it's called. But it was an interview with Justin Vernon, and he was talking about when he was making For Emma Forever Ago. He was talking about how he, like, every day would, like, drink a beer in the morning, make himself four eggs, and, like, watch a show all day long. You know, he was up in this cabin for, like, six months, Mm -hmm. and, like, most of the days he was up there, he was just, like, fucking off. Right. He was being a human person, and then, like, making art from being a human, and, like, that fucking album came out of that, you know?
1: He was setting a vibe.
2: Yeah, and, like, Mm -hmm. I I feel like when you're just, like, workhorse, like, I'm a music maker, I have to make music, content, 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 it's like, are you a human anymore? Like, you have to be a human and, like, fuck off to have a place for art to come from, and I just, I love that that album is so raw and, like, fucking beautiful in that way.
1: One of the things that is obviously, to me at least, so appealing about Big Richard is what Bonnie has told me about how in Bluegrass, people are trying so hard to do what everybody expects of them and, and prove that they can play Shady Grove and all these songs you're supposed to play and even dress in the way you're supposed to. Totally. Do you have that same... uh Fuck you, bluegrass scene attitude. That
2: I don't know. I don't think I've ever felt invested in the bluegrass scene enough to like say, fuck you, to it. Mm-hmm. I'm not like, I don't like, I'm not, that's not like my end goal. Right. <laughs> which is, which is scary to say because, you know, I do it and I am successful at it. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm not there to be a, in the bluegrass scene and to be a bluegrass player. Like I don't, I don't really want to do that with my life, but I love it. And I think it's really fun. And I think it's yeah. a really fun way to connect with other people. Um, and again, like if you're so wrapped up in making music for the end goal reason, then you're going to lose the whole process. Yeah. You know, and you're going to like miss being a human, you know, along the way, you're going to like get so wrapped up in this, like trying, trying, trying kind of thing. And like, Yeah. you just got to fucking eat four eggs and watch a TV show all day.
1: <laughs> Sometimes, um, saying fuck you uh, by saying how much you don't care is, um, just as powerful or maybe less powerful than if you really don't care. I mean that's that's even more it's even more punk rock. Right. You know.
2: And I do care. I care about people. And I care about things that people care about. Mm-hmm. But personally like I don't feel a strong way about having a place in the bluegrass community. Though I do love when you know great bass players are like hey great bass playing right you know like bluegrass bass players like that means a lot to me i care about having a good bass pocket that's about it
1: but there are musicians and this is why i've never gravitated toward (laughs) bluegrass specifically there there definitely are players whose goal on stage is to prove that they're a really good musician. And they're, and they're looking for comments like that.
2: Yeah. And I think that that attitude exists in all genres of music. I think there, I mean, when you pick up a guitar as a kid, the mind, the thought crosses through a lot of minds. That's like, I want to be famous someday, you know? Like, that's what you see as a music, like a young person, musicians get famous or whatever. And it's like, why did you pick up the guitar? Do you like to do it or do you want to show off something? Do you want to prove something? And it's Mm -hmm. like, I feel like keeping in touch with that first part, like just loving it and doing it for yourself is like the most important thing. And then if you do that, I feel like eventually, people catch on and the most the best musicians in the world like didn't give a fuck if they got famous or not maybe they did i don't know but i feel like where it comes from is kind of just staying true to what you love
1: how do you balance the success and trajectory of big richard with um wanting to develop your solo career
2: um i'm still figuring that out i i have a strong method of booking where i just get asked to play shows i literally like have never booked my own show for sound of honey um and i'm very grateful for the people that asked me to play shows with them because i love playing shows uh and at this point like big richard's calendar is really full um, and so I kind of am just trying to like fit sound of Honey stuff in where I can, like where there's some extra time. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm hoping that like eventually big Richard stuff slows down. And mm-hmm. I think we all kind of are in that boat. Like we all are going to do it really hard while we need to. And then once it kind of fizzles off, I think all of our solo projects are really important to us and Ultimately, like, I would love to have Sound of Honey be doing more stuff, but I think the main thing for me that I need to remember is like, make music with Sound of Honey when I can. And I need to record it and I need to like just make music. And it's really easy to get caught up in the marketing side of things and to be promoting and figuring out how to do this and this, but like the amount that I make music with my band is like much less than I want it to be. Yeah. But I think that's, I'd be happy if I got to make more music with sound of honey this year.
1: Um, I'm not going to take up any more of your time Um, uh, after you give me your three final albums that you're taking.
2: Okay. I have to delete one here okay the third one is an album called on guard by ethan gruska
1: i've never heard this name in my life
2: he is an incredible music mind piano player he's produced a lot of like famous people's music but his solo stuff is really beautiful and creative kind of similarly to the other albums And the next album, I'm going into the older stuff, is Blue by Joni Mitchell. Nice. I love Joni. She's a huge inspiration to me. And the last album is The Dance by Fleetwood Mac. Wow.
1: I mean, that's um, if somebody was going to say their their favorite Fleetwood Mac record, it's it's usually not that.
2: Yeah, that's mine. It's Why? all live at Warner Brothers Studios. It's like the best.
1: There yeah. is a, a playlist for this podcast on on Spotify, um, and we always put at least one song from everybody's choice. So okay. we'll put something from, and it's an education for me too because. A couple of these albums I haven't heard.
2: Yeah, totally. You should listen to them.
1: <laughs> I will for sure. I wanted to ask you one last thing that I asked Bonnie too, and see and see what you say. Is uh, uh, Big Richard the Spice Girls of bluegrass or the Powerpuff Girls of bluegrass?
2: Oh shit! I would say Spice Girls. Why? I think that the Spice Girls are more unique to each other than the Powerpuff Girls are, and I think that we all, as Big Richard, are extremely different, and we all encapsulate a very different vibe, but, like, we all come together and make it super, it's like the sum is greater than our parts. Like the Power
1: Rangers, kind of.
2: I think I would say Power Rangers ultimately, like mm-hmm. if you were to add a third category, I would say Power right. Rangers is the thing. But I think Spice Girls is a really good thing because they all have completely different styles. Right. Like the Powerpuff Girls all look the same and there's only three of them, you know? Yeah. Like we don't look the same at all. And all of our styles are different aesthetically and like personally, I feel like, but we all fit together somehow.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Um, thank you so much for talking with me. Yeah, and,
2: thank uh, you.
1: That was Emma Rose of Big Richard, Sound of Honey. Um, she's got a voice and uh, songwriting talent as deep as her bass. Um, and yes, I'll admit right now, I have actually been pretty heartbroken and listened to silver springs from fleetwood max the dance and cried so i should really just come clean about that anyway um emma and sound of honey play the coast in fort collins friday february 24th and chautauqua community house in boulder saturday february 25th her new album dozens of colors is out this week uh next week we have the one the only, the absolutely badass Hazel Miller on Mile High Stash um, and we're about to have a lot more soul because of it and I can't wait uh, th- thanks to the Jamestown Mercantile and Wood Songs for their generous support of this episode, um, I get in touch at milehighstash at gmail.com and we'll talk very soon um, I am also playing at the Jamestown Mercantile with Clay Rose of Gasoline Lollipops, Friday night, February
0: 24th. So you want to rise above duality You want to transcend day and night Yes, I'm
2: old-fashioned, I just don't show your passion